Great grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In my professional career, I've always sort of been chasing after what you might call success. And not necessarily success in the way the world was looking at it, but more in terms of what a Christ follower would consider to be successful. Now, some of you know I coached high school and college basketball for 18 years, and of course, uh, your seasons were always measured by how many games you won, how many games you lost. Now, there were certainly years in which some people might say, well, you weren't very successful, you were uh, 12 wins and 18 losses. And there were the years when you finished 28-2, and two, got within a basket of reaching the state tournament, you'd say that was pretty successful. Even in ministry, I've been asked at different times, you know, are you successful in the ministry? And I said, well, it kind of depends on how you judge it. And the other pastor said, so how much money do you make? And to be quite honest, I, I've never really known how much money I make. I've never paid attention to a, uh, a check in my life. My wife would tell you that uh, I don't have any idea how much money we have in a checking account. I, I rarely have ever write one. In fact, if I reach in my pocket today, I think I have a dollar. I'm not even used to carry money. So measured from that way, success doesn't really make much difference. So over the years, I've discovered that successful people all, though, have certain habits that they follow, even though not everybody agrees on the basic characteristics. I'm going to share a couple with you. Uh, the first thing you see on the screen is called the triangle of success. Now, there's a lot of stuff up there to make you successful. You know, goal setting, self-motivation, uh, reasoning, honesty, optimism. I mean, it's kind of like if you do all of those, what is that, about 10, 11, 12 things based upon your theories and information. You know, that's a lot of information to try to figure out whether you're successful or not. Well, I like this, sec this next one much better as a basketball coach because it's John Wooden's Pyramid of Success. And this is something I handed out to my basketball players every year. And then we would take a practice, maybe five minutes before uh, each practice, and we'd talk about some of these things like self-control, what that really means. Now, you're going to look at John Wood, and you're going to say, well, here's a guy that won, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 NCAA titles. I mean, great record, All-American in high school, college, and a Hall of Fame coach. He must know something about success. Well, all of that stuff is really good. And it's only taken me, I want to tell you how many years, to boil it down to something a little bit simpler. I want to give you a far simpler definition of success. You'll see it up here on the screen. Success is knowing and doing God's will. That's pretty simple. Success is knowing God's will and then doing it. In other words, it's discovering what God's plan is for your life and living it. Now, of course, this presupposes that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you are indeed a Christ follower. Now, if you're going to be a successful Christ follower, that path may take you all the way to Wall Street, may take you all the way to Skid Row. But wherever it takes you, if you live out God's will in your life, you should be what we would call successful. Though, again, remember, not in the way the world measures success. See, in Psalm 1, and I had to preach on this, I, I wanted to do it last week, but it wasn't part of the readings, uh, and the reason I wanted to do it last week was because it was Confirmation Sunday here, and this is my confirmation verse. 
And I thought, well, I would share it this Sunday in Springfield, but I got thrown a curveball in the middle of the week and found out that uh, maybe Andrew wasn't going to be back as quick as he thought, and Jeff thought maybe you guys got tired of him, so maybe I should come back to Nixa one more Sunday. So that's what that's why I'm here. So I want to take a look at Psalm 1. Because David talks about, and, I, and I, I hesitate sometimes to use the word successful because we think of it in the world's terms. But I'm going to kind of change this word from time to time and say, David shows us how to be an honest-to-goodness Christ follower. If, if we claim to be Christ followers, how then do we live? Now, he says that a successful person has developed uh, certain habits. We might call those spiritual habits. And these habits affect all they do. And so I'm going to look at three characteristics this morning of a biblically successful person. This ought to be kind of three things you keep in front of you as a Christ follower. And I think people who live out God's plan for their lives, once they figure that out, tend to live by these three, whether you kind of know them consciously or not. So if you want to be, I guess, biblically successful... A serious Christ follower, three guidelines. Here's the first guideline I'm sharing is don't follow the crowd. Don't follow the crowd. Now, you probably know what crowd I'm even talking about. Uh, you've heard the saying, misery loves company, right? Well, it's true. It's also true that sin loves company. And it's also a basic truth that sin leads to misery. And as you probably already figured out in your life, miserable people uh, tend to want to make everybody around them miserable as well. That's why as a Christ follower, sometimes you have to stand up a little bit higher and say, uh, no, the crowd is not something that I'm going to be interested in following because you realize the crowd is not always one's best source of guidance. I certainly learned that growing up, that uh, if you hang out with the wrong people, it doesn't help your Christian life. See, when it comes to matters of right and wrong, the majority is not always right. So as a Christ follower, uh, we need to decide that when necessary, we will stand our ground and let the crowd pass us by. In verse 1 of this psalm, describes the spiritually successful person's attitude towards following the crowd. First of all, he says, don't listen to what other people say. Verse 1, blessed is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked. Now, I read it many years ago, and I was working on my MBA, some studying successful people. One of them was Walt Disney. And Walt Disney, when he came up with a brand new brainstorm, he would pitch the idea to ten different people. And if all ten of them were against it, guess what? He would immediately go to work on that project because he had learned over time that the crowd was not always necessarily right. So what does the crowd say to us today? I mean, you live out in the world. What do they say? Well, I heard this one not long ago. Uh, somebody said they were rather unhappy in their marriage. And we've been talking to a number of people. And I said, well, what did a number of people say to you? And they said, well, you know the answer to that. Get a divorce. So, Pastor, what are you going to say? Are you going to be part of the crowd or not? Or if you've been taken uh, advantage of in an unfair way, the crowd always says, don't get mad, what? Get even. If you're facing temptation in this world, I don't care what temptation it is, whether it's sex, drugs, or rock and roll, or you name the whole gamut of other stuff you want to put in there, the crowd says, do whatever you want. 
Just don't get caught doing it. See, their advice always is your happiness comes first. I mean, look out for you. Look out for number one. Let the other guy worry about himself. But friends, Christ followers cannot follow the crowd. There's a second attitude that's talked about here, and it's don't, uh, don't do what the crowd does. I mean, not only should you not walk with these people, it says you shouldn't take the path that they tread. See, when given the choice, most of us will take the path of least resistance. I mean, our tendency by nature is always to take the easy way out. I mean, we've learned that in our lives. But a Christ follower, I would suggest to you, takes the right path, not the easy path. We had to memorize a lot of poetry when I went to high school. I went to a Lutheran high school, Concordia, on the campus of the college in Seward. And I can remember memorizing a poem by Robert Frost that said, Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I can remember a point in my Christian life when I said the path that I was going was not the right path. I shared this before, that actually it was a college professor who helped straighten me out. When he stuck his finger in my face and he said, all you are is a gangster. That's all you are and that's all you will ever be. You're just like your father. Now, my father was in prison at that time. I was on the wrong path. I had been walking with some wrong people and I had even got to the point of standing with them. See, the successful person learns to run alone. They certainly don't run with the crowd. I mean, that's attitude number three. You don't sit in the seat of scoffers. And and there's a saying that says, he who runs fastest runs alone. See, the successful person, the Christ follower, sometimes you're going to find that you're going to be swimming against the stream. But that's okay. It's okay. Now, I want you to notice the progression in these three first three verses. I, I talk about this all the time in prison. It says, blessed are those who do not walk with, stand with, or sit with. Did you notice that downhill progression? If I were speaking to a bunch of inmates this morning, and you are, you're kind of locked in here for the time. You're doing the Lutheran hour as opposed to life. Well, hopefully you're doing life with Christ too. Uh, but I would ask them, in your growing up years, before, what got, once you get to the prison, was there a time that you were walking with the wrong people? Yeah, they would say yeah. And was there a time that you actually stood with them? On the street corners or whatever. And it would be like, yeah. And was there a time that you actually sat down with them and started to make plans? Yeah. And I said, and where did those plans lead you? And they all shot, here we are, Doc. Here we are. It led me to prison. That's the progression. So we don't follow the crowd. Here's the, sec- here's the second characteristic. We get a one-track mind. I mean, I, I've been accused of that every once in a while, of having a one-track mind. An elder one time told me, Pastor, there's no arguing with you. You always bring the Bible into it. I guess that's a one-track mind. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. How about you? Are you meditating on God's Word day and night? Do you start the day with God's Word? Do you talk about it in the middle of the day? Do you think about it and pray about it? Is it part of your consciousness as a Christ follower? Winston Churchill, favorite of mine, one time said, A fanatic is someone who can't change his mind, but won't change the subject. Now, if that's true, I want to suggest to you that we should all be fanatics. 
We really should be absolutely positively committed to learning and knowing and applying and sharing the principles of the biblical narrative to our lives. All too often people tell me, you know, Pastor, the reason I don't share with other people is I, I just don't know what I would say. But you ought to go do it because you know all the words. And I often point out to them, I said, but there was a point in my life where I was exactly where you were. And they kind of go, really? And I said, yeah, it takes years of immersing yourself in the word. You can start today. Do it. Yeah. So successful people, Christ followers, ought to have kind of this one-track mind. We know the difference between right and wrong. Uh, We are committed to doing what is right, not because we're going to earn a special place in heaven. We all know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. We're not going to earn our way there. So success by by deceit, though, uh, boy, no success at all. I mean, there are a lot of people in this world who will experience a certain amount of success uh, through some short-term economic benefits, but it's through deception, it's through dishonesty. Uh, there's a story, and Tony, I apologize for telling an, ins- an insurance man's story here, but uh, maybe this has happened to you. Uh, there was a, a cigar smoker who had bought uh, several hundred expensive cigars, and he had them insured against fire. And after he'd smoked them all, he filed a claim with his insurance company, uh, pointing out that the cigars had, in fact, been destroyed by fire. Well, the insurance company <laughs> refused to pay, and so he took them to court. And a judge ruled that because the insurance company had uh, agreed to insure the cigars against fire, it was legally responsible, so they had no choice but to settle that claim. But when the man appeared at the insurance agent's office to collect the money, uh, he said to the agent, uh, no hard feelings, okay? And the insurance guy said, nope, no hard feelings. And by the way, we brought the sheriff with us today. You're under arrest for arson. <laughs> well, it leads me to this point. You, you can defy God's law and you can be truly successful. But when God spoke the words to Joshua, he had something completely different. Look at this passage on Joshua 1.8. The one time I almost decided to resign from the ministry... I turned around and I thought, if I'm going to write a letter of resignation, I would at least put a Bible passage in it. And I turned around and my Bible was open to these verses where it said, uh, The book of law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will be successful. And it went on and said, Be bold and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. There's another verse. Look at this one from Philippians chapter 4. Meditating on God's law, Paul says, Finally, beloved, and that's you, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I'd ask you, what, what do you think about all day long? Well, let's take a look at this, the third part of this verse. I think the successful person does not follow the crowd. We know that. They, they have a one-track mind. But the third thing is they have a weather-resistant faith. In verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 1, 
an interesting picture. It's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And then it adds, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, some of you all may know, not know what chaff is, but those of us who grew up in Nebraska and had a, a grandpa who raised you who lived on a farm know all about chaff. Because when the wheat would be ready to be harvested, my grandpa and I would often walk through those wheat fields, and he taught me to grab one of those heads of grain and snap it off, and then rub it back and forth in my hands, and then blow. And all that dust that flew away, guess what? That's the chaff. And then we would pop those wheat kernels into our mouth and enjoy, honest to goodness, unbaked bread, I guess. <laughs> yeah, whatever, the chaff blows away. Now, maybe that's to say, you know, the Christian life is not an easy life by any stretch of imagination. It promises that there are going to be some times when we need to face the wind and the rain and the days of drought when you kind of deal with the scorching heat and and then you're just doing that while you're waiting to freeze to death during all of the ice and the snow in winter. And it's kind of a fact of life that we all go through trials and tribulations. Uh, we need to endure seasons of pain. There are times when we have great disappointment. I was disappointed right before I went to bed last night. I happened to check my Facebook page and found out that one of my best friends from a long time ago had passed away. It was just kind of stunning to me because I just think about the many different conversations I had with him over the year to encourage him in his faith as he was struggling and then to see him kind of turn everything around and then become really kind of a mighty man of God, actually becoming vice president of the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. And he used that to leverage orphanages in Vietnam and in Thailand and in Korea. And so there, there's this, you know, even today as I think about talking about Alan, you know, there's a, there's a little piece missing in my heart. And all of you experience that from time to time. That's all I'm just saying is that life is not always easy. You have some great, wonderful times as Christians. I mean, no, I mean, we confirmed four young people last week, four outstanding statements of faith. I'm sure they were the same way at, in Springfield. Those are high points in your life, but there will also be low points. When you bury a loved one, when you experience cancer, when you just deal with what life is all about. But a Christ follower is the one who can weather a storm no matter what life brings. You know, in the early 1970s, I remember reading this article. <clears throat> uh, the firefighters of Fairfax uh, County, Virginia, received some brand new fire helmets. And they looked great. They were colorful. They were high-impact plastic. They were self-adjustable. They were scuff-resistant. There was only one problem with these fire helmets, and that's that when you were brought close to heat, they melted. Well, sometimes the believer's faith is much the same way. I mean, uh, the problem with some believers is that it cannot endure the extremes of temperature that day-to-day -day life brings us through. That's why we hang on. That's why we meditate. That's why we know God's word. That's why we immerse ourselves in what God is doing. At the end of World War II, uh, the Allied forces were kind of sweeping through Germany, and they were cleaning out sniper nests, and they were searching uh, houses and farms. And uh, in the basement of one abandoned house, they uh, on a wall, a victim of the Holocaust had actually scratched out a uh, Star of David and beneath it wrote these words, 
I believe in the sun even when it does not shine. I believe in love even when it is not shown. I believe in God even when he does not speak. Have you ever had those times in your life you kind of wondered where God was? Have you ever prayed those prayers, Lord, are you even listening to me anymore? Well, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. He's always there. He's always there. See, sadly, there are some people who believe that if you have faith, you're not going to have any problems. But the Bible doesn't teach that at all. It doesn't teach that faith um, prevents bad weather. What Christianity teaches us is that our faith protects us during bad weather. Now, there is another Bible passage. It's in the book of Jeremiah that's very much like Psalm 1. And you see it up here. It's Jeremiah 17, verse 8. It says, He, and it's talking about the Christ follower here, He shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green in the year of drought. It is not anxious. It does not cease to bear fruit. I mean, so very simply, friends, I'm just saying, put your faith in God. God will get you through any storm that you will ever experience, any drought that life brings your way. Some of you that are of my vintage know exactly how that works, because you've seen it time in and time again over and over. Some of you are a little bit younger are kind of wondering. That's why you need to look to experience saints in God's kingdom sometimes to figure it out. I mean, don't just say, well, they've got gray hair or they don't have any hair. Or they got too many wrinkles, what can they know? Guess what? Those senior Christ followers know a whole lot more, perhaps, now. And senior Christ followers, guess what? You need to share those things. I think about Mother's Day. Uh, I saw this morning my daughter changed her Facebook cover. And uh, it was a picture uh, taken when we lived in Hong Kong. Sorry, we're just going to... Um, my daughter was probably in third grade. And it was a picture of her and her mom together. And underneath there was something written about, Mom, thanks for being a woman of God, and thanks for sharing so many life lessons, and thank you for being a friend. See, that's passing on the legacy of being a, well, successful Christ follower. Put your faith in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Share it with other people. He'll help you endure any storm of life. Now, David closes out this psalm in verse 6 with, this, with these words. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So all I'm saying today, friends, here, is you look at Psalm 1. Go back and look at it again, over and over again. Uh, because... It offers us perspective on success from a different point of view, from the point of view of a Christ follower. Success is knowing God's will, but you're not going to know God's will apart from the power of the Spirit working in your life through the Word, through the sacraments, and then actually learning to do it. See, doing God's will is a result of following some habits, some good habits that we looked at today. It comes from those people who refuse to follow the crowd. To be a little bit different. I should have wore the tie I had this morning to show a whole bunch of fish swimming in one direction and another one in the shape of the Christ fish swimming the other direction. 
That's the way I often feel in life. I'm going against the stream. But you learn not to follow the crowd. You end up following Christ. Uh, You cultivate a one-track mind, and if your one-track mind is always found in God's Word and in your love for the Lord Jesus, that's wonderful. And you've also discovered that you've developed over time a weather-resistant faith. What does Luther say? You know, take thee our life, goods, fame, child, and wife, let these all be gone. You yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. I often think about successful people. Who would you rather be? Would you like to be Alexander the Great who conquered the world while a young man but still died when he was 30? Or how about Napoleon who ruled France? Or then again, how about the Apostle Paul who died alone in prison? Uh, For me, the answer I think is pretty obvious. Uh, Paul was successful not because he was able to accumulate a lot of wealth and power because he wrote a lot of books, although they're wonderful, but because he lived a life shaped by the Word of God. I'll say it one more time. You see it on the screen here. Success comes down to knowing God and knowing God's will and doing it. This means that the successful person, the Christ follower, lives a life influenced by the Word and not the world. And by God's grace, may we all enjoy this kind of success. Amen. We continue our worship this morning as we gather together our tithes and our offerings.